dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Anyone who takes the time to study the life of St. Paul can't help but admire the man's endurance, energy, and determination in the service of Jesus Christ. Indeed, his life seems so spectacular and his exploits so amazing that many people feel they can never imitate him. But a closer reading of his writings reveals his secret. God's strength was revealed in his weakness. How did St. Paul leverage his weakness to allow Christ to reveal his strength? And what does that mean for us as we try to follow Christ as leaders today? All right, everybody. So I want to take you right into the heart of what I think is the secret of St. Paul's entire life. If St. Paul is such a great saint, and of course he is, what's the secret? What did he know and how did he get there? Right? Because if we can, of course, bottle that, well, wouldn't that be wonderful to apply that to our own life? Maybe if if a guy like St. Paul could actually become one of the greatest saints of all time and one of the chief protagonists of Christianity, even though he was against Jesus Christ and did terrible things to the church, I mean, if a guy like him can become a saint, then you and I stand a chance as well. As a matter of fact, we stand a good chance. But what what was the secret? Because how could you take a guy with a past like his and an intense character like his who had hurt so many people. I mean, we're talking thousands of people whose lives were grievously damaged by St. Paul to the point that you couldn't imagine him walking around without you know, having a reputation amongst all the Christians whose lives he had impacted towards the negative. I mean, he had guilt, he had shame, he had people who would recriminate against him and with good reason. And he could never undo it. It's something I've always been fascinated by as a priest because you deal with people all the time. And I'm in the process, of course, I'm in the business, so to speak, of conversion. I'm in the business of helping people to move forward with their lives. And it's, it's like a mystery to me why God won't let us go backwards. And it's one thing that many of us wish deep down inside. If only I could go backwards, I could rectify the things that I did in the past that have hurt people or the things that I, the mistakes that I've made, right? Wouldn't it just be marvelous to be able to undo the mistakes you made? I remember when I, when I finished teaching high school, I, I asked uh, uh, the, the principal who had hired me and who had become a mentor uh, for me in many ways. I asked him, hey, do you have any advice for me moving forward? And he said, live life with no regrets. Well, I mean, that, that lasted for about six months, you know, <laughs> and then you look back and you're like, oh, shoot, I already have regrets. What do you do with regrets? You know, what, what, do, you, what do you do with, with a past that is heavier than the, the love that you have for the future, especially in the eyes of other people, right? So many people can hold us down from our spouses sometimes, unfortunately, to our children, that's for sure. You know, children seem to never forget all of the stupid things that we said, <laughs> 
or did or the mistakes we made or the bad days that we had, right? Or, or if you get a, a bad mark on your career path, right? Or, or if you're in the service, the military, and, and suddenly you get a bad review, it, it could seem like your life is over. You know, it's the same thing with financial struggles. And how do I persevere in trying to be great when I have been given evidence of judgment to the contrary by my peers or by the people who are around me or even by the people whose life I've negatively impacted, right? Well, most people end up saying, well, therefore I'm not great and I can't seek to dare great things because I've lost the right to seek to dare great things because I've patently proven to the world that I am unworthy of, asp of aspiring to the heights. Well, just remember that as soon as you say that, you kind of put yourself off on the side of the Christian message. You miss the point of what Christianity is. Because Christianity is a place which gives heaven to the good thief hanging on the cross next to Christ, who had lived a bad life, and yet who made faith in the saving power of Jesus and his love for him, allowed himself to hope again for goodness in his life and was granted access to the kingdom of heaven. You know, the, the good thief, right? If the good thief can do it, if St. Paul can do it, well, then why can't we? Well, what a lot of us do is we say, well, we can do it, Father Nathan, but just at a purely spiritual level. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my mouth shut while on earth because I've proven to everybody that I said, you know, bad things in the past. I mean, I don't want to be a hypocrite and aspire to live the life of holiness on earth that I could when I've shown everybody that I'm just mediocre. And we stay in these little cages that we've built for ourselves. It's amazing. It's like the devil doesn't even have to try to keep you down. You've already sentenced yourself to prison and you put yourself there forever. And it's because, well, what I've done in the past can't be undone. And then you in walks St. Paul, who has an incredible past. And yet, um, immediately upon his conversion, begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of the same people he had been sent to arrest. I mean, look what it says. This is Acts chapter 10. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. At once, right? It means immediately. This is incredible. And he starts, and it's to the point where he puts his life in jeopardy for Christ. The same person who would put other people's lives in jeopardy for Christ as the great persecutor of the church now becomes the protagonist and hero of the church. It's incredible. What got into him? I, I'm fascinated by that because I'm, I'm always trying to understand why so many great Christians stay in mediocrity? Why we don't utilize our positions of influence in the world to radiate the love of God in a more active, proactive fashion? And I'm convinced that for many of us, it's because we're ashamed of our weaknesses. We're well aware of all the places where we fall short, all the different forms of failure that are in our life, all of the fears that we carry deep inside about our own inadequacies, and we listen to them. So instead of going through the difficulties that we have and meeting the challenge of personal sanctification and even go, you know, expressing ourselves despite ourselves, we instead allow ourselves to become our biggest obstacle. And we say, because of my fears and because of the opinions of others and because of the past that I have and because I'm aware of my own weaknesses, I will stop letting the light shine. And we do one of two things. Either 
we succumb to patterns of darkness and we allow the world to start to tell us how we should behave and what we should do. And we abandon the faith that has been passed on to us, the faith of God, and we adopt the opinions and lifestyles of, of non-believers, or we, we just grow silent and, and we allow what happens outside of us to continue happening. We don't go towards the people in our family that need conversion. We don't say anything to our friends. We don't volunteer. We don't found new things. We don't even donate to places that need our support in order to fight the good fight. No, we just live lives of quiet mediocrity. But you know, whenever we do that, it's not, it's not firstly ourselves that suffer. It's everybody else who doesn't get to see the light of God shining through us. We deprive this world of light by hiding it because we're ashamed of the darkness. I'm reminded of, of that poem by Marianne Williamson that I like so much. She says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. It's a great poem. It's a great thought. It's, it's, it's a truth. The only way that darkness could ever defeat light is by convincing the light to not shine. So what is it that's convincing you to not shine your light? What is it inside or around you that's somehow bigger than the love that God has put into your heart to give yourself and to lead, to impact, to influence, to take this world to a higher level, to dare great things? What is it? There's a reason all of us have. And I want to say that regardless of, of whatever name you have for it, it's going to be defined as a weakness of some sort, a lacking of some sort. And this is where Christ comes in. The most powerful and beautiful message of Christianity is that in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. I want to look at that because it's the secret that motivated and drove St. Paul from the life of a sinner to being one of the greatest saints to ever walk the earth. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. All right, I want you to open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a really unique spot where St. Paul goes on to describe his own personal journey. And he says in 2 Corinthians 11, that he doesn't want to do that. He's like, this is really silly. I feel like I'm boasting. But since I feel the need to prove myself to you, let me tell you of what God has done in my life. And he goes on to describe all of the ways that St. Paul has proven himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it's rather astounding, right? He was given 195 whippings. He was beaten with rods three times. He was even stoned one time and left for dead on the desert floor. He was shipwrecked. He was constantly in motion. He was threatened in so many different ways for his life. When you read the Acts of the Apostles, you're astounded to read that the man had, it was being beaten regularly by crowds. Riots would form. Cities would kick him out. He had to run away. He was alone in many different ways, left without support. 
And yet St. Paul persevered through it all. So you read all that and you say, oh my goodness, this man is absolutely amazing. He's a lion for God and we all admire him. But then we look at our own life and we say, oh gosh, I can't even coach a soccer team. <laughs> you know? Or it's just too much for me to seem to have my, my children sit down at table for dinner. You know, let alone, you know, manage my people in a way that's life-giving for each one of them. I got personality conflicts, people that I don't like, uh, people that are jealous of people. So instead of me working with my team and my business as if I was an apostle of Christ to really bring peace and harmony and, and to develop all of my people, well, I, I end up succumbing to the ways of the world and I'm just as bad as the rest of them. And everyone knows all of my failures as a leader. Everyone knows my insecurities, that I am averse to conflict, that I don't have vision, that, that I run away from discipline, that I hide my own mistakes while being really tough on the mistakes of everyone around me. But all those different things that can haunt us. We'll see, we look at our life, we look at St. Paul's, we say, my goodness, Paul is so great and I am so utterly mediocre. There is no way I could imitate him. And then you turn the page in the Bible to chapter 12, where St. Paul, the very next chapter, explains the secret for his success. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and following, where he says, Lest I become conceited, a thorn in my flesh was given me, an angel of Satan to beat me, so that I might not become conceited. Three times I begged the Lord that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is enough for you because power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, all the more will I boast of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I glory in the insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's quite a passage. It's an amazing passage. And I think it's really the heart of the secret of St. Paul's leadership. It's that his leadership is one where he surrenders his own weakness to the strength of Christ. So there's two words here that are at play, right? The first is this word weakness. The actual Greek word that Paul writes is asthenia. And asthenia is a really unique expression because it doesn't mean something positive, like I have a blemish or I have a fault. It means that I don't have the strength that I should. So asthenia is almost like a creaking floorboard, right? Or like a, a, an, on the skin of, of a piece of fruit where you push on it and then suddenly it goes soft, right? That's an asthenia, right? So Paul says in those areas where I, I should be something, but I'm not, that's the place where Christ displays his power. So the power that he's referring to there is this, the Greek word dunamos, Dunamos is the same, same word we use for dynamite, for example, right? But what dunamos properly means in Greek is the natural strength of something, the force that's in anything according to its nature. So the dunamos of wood is to be able to hold weight without snapping. The, the dunamos of a plant is to be able to grow and bear fruit. Uh, and the, the dunamos of a heart is to be able to love, right? The, the dunamos of an eye is to be able to see. And so the dunamos of Christ, of course, is an amazing thing to contemplate. What, what does Jesus Christ, by his divinity, have inside of him? Well, my gosh, he has the power, of course, to save, to redeem, the power to vivify, to give a life that exceeds anything on the earth. I mean, it's the power of God himself would mean what God is able to do as God. And, of course, he's able to do all things. 
Well, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus told him personally, Paul, my strength, my dunamos of God is made perfect in your asthenia, in your weakness, in where you don't have the strength and what you're lacking. That's exactly where I come in and where my power comes to its perfection. So the word for perfection or for fulfillment or completion is teleo. Teleo, it's more than just to finish. It means to come to its fruition, come to its consummation, right? So what Jesus is really saying is that in the mystery of grace, what he wants to do with you is take everything where you're not and where you have lacked what you should have done in your life and to make that the exact spot where God produces his fruit. This is why St. Paul goes on to say, you know, what he said there in that I glory in all of the hardships, the persecutions, the difficulty, the insults. Everywhere, in other words, where something that he should have is taken away from him. St. Paul says, that's where I stay. So in order that then Jesus might demonstrate his capacity through him. But you see, there's a common error in all that. What a lot of Christians mean when they say that is they think, okay, therefore, I'm just going to say I'm nothing. I'm not even going to try. I'm going to just admit my defeat. And that's not what Paul does. No, no, no. It's, it's a lot more than that. Because if you just admitted your defeat, you'd be allowing the darkness to win. You'd be allowing the situation that's difficult for you or challenging for you to have the upper hand. This is not what you're supposed to do. What Paul's saying is that you need to face your fears, to step into the very situation, the very challenge where you feel like you are weak in order that there, through that act of courage and trusting in Jesus and hoping in Jesus, Jesus will do the work through your efforts. So your effort, you could say, oh my gosh, my effort is so weak. My effort is going to be in vain. No, your effort might be weak. But if your faith is strong, he will bring to perfection his own strength in and through your weakness. So we need to talk about this, but this is really at the heart of what it means to be a Christian leader. Because being a Christian leader isn't something that you do just because you're a great person. It's not something that you do because the whole church approves of you. It's not something that you do because you're wonderful and perfect. That's not a Christian leader. Right? You, you could strive to have all those attributes given to you from some other source. You could become a stoic, for example, right? And just try to develop that sense of being as perfect as you can on your own. That's a fine thing, but then again, it's far short of what God wants to do through you. God wants something greater than stoicism. God wants Christ, and God wants his mystery to be given. And he has foreordained it and worked it out that our religion gives it's the greatness of God through our own weakness. When we face that weakness and display the love of God through it anyway. And that requires from us an outstanding amount of courage, of courage, bravery, the ability to stand in Christ despite the mockery of the, the crowds, despite the lack of substance in terms of your reputation. It means that we got to walk on water. There are times in our life where everything's going great and there are times when our Lord is walking on the waves. We follow him when he's on the land and we follow him when he's on the waves so that when he's lifted up into the air, 
on the cross, we'll follow him there too. Then we'll follow him into the tomb. And then we'll follow him out of the tomb. And we'll follow him to the right hand of God. Our life is to let Christ lead us. And whenever we follow him, we're standing on the rock. When we follow him, we have the strength. But it won't be without the courage and bravery of those who determine to trust in him alone and to let his strength be theirs. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So where does this all leave us, right? With the secret of St. Paul is to say that in those spots where I lack what the, the natural force that I should have, Weakness in St. Paul is described as a lack of strength in Greek, right? It's an absence of force, an absence of firmness. And think about that in our own life. Well, I don't have, you know, a good reputation. I don't have the esteem of my parents. I don't have the ability to dream. I don't have the ability to finish. I'm a quitter, right? Think about all those different things, what they could be. I, I don't have friends. I don't have things in this world. Okay. Wherever you have that, that's called the weakness. Now there is where Christ wants to give you his strength. You say, well, how does that happen? And in the text that I read to you there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, St. Paul says that our Lord told them that that is found in his grace. In the Greek, it's charis, right? Which means the gift, in the gift. Well, where do I find that gift? Well, the idea here is that when he says my grace is enough for you, what he's sharing with us is the gift of his presence, the gift of his life in our souls, the gift of the Holy Spirit is where we're going to find that his power shines through our weakness. And so for us, practically, this means that we who are leading in Christ need to cultivate our life of prayer and union with him. And I know that this is a challenge because it competes with our time. It competes with our energies. But it's really my question to you is, what are you trying to accomplish with your life anyway? Right? When you have to prioritize, you only got so much time in your life. When will I start to read my Bible? When will I start to say my prayers? Right? When will I, it's almost like dieting. You're like, well, I got to get on that old keto diet too, don't I? Oh my gosh. And I got to start jogging. And I, and so we just, it's another task. I have to start to pray. I should be doing my holy hour, whatever it might be. And, and, and there I, I want us to kind of like say, well, wait a second. Do you, do you still see your management? Do you still see your leading of your company? Do you still see, you know, your influence in the world as something that you're doing apart from God? Most people do. Most people are like, okay, I got my spirituality. Uh, that's because I love God and my grandma was Catholic, you know, so she taught me how to say the rosary. And so I'm trying to you know, make grandma happy, whatever. You know, that's what most people do. But then like my real world, boy, it's just a whirlwind of things that I've got to constantly do. And you do. I mean, I'm not putting that down. I mean, there's one of some of the most productive people in the world are our mothers and fathers of families. You never stop your to-do list. It just keeps on going. But at the same time, I'm like, well, what if you were to say, my role is not to be a mom who then loves Jesus, but what if my goal was to be a mom who lets Jesus give his love through me 
to, to the kids. What if my job, in other words, was to be an instrument of Christ wherever I was? And then you look at Mother Teresa of Calcutta. That woman was busier than you are, you know. Well, she, she went through the world. And man, she was doing things constantly. She, she one time said that, that wasting time is something that, you know, bothers God a lot. That we should be very attentive because she didn't waste time. She was constantly going. But she also prayed four hours a day. And w- w- why was that? It was because she wanted all that she did to be a vehicle for the love of God. So that she used to say, I am just a pencil in the hand of God, right? And, I, and through her smile and her meeting of people, even though she was an introvert, when you met her, you felt loved. She, and that was her whole thing, to go into places of poverty and take, of course, care of their material needs to the degree that they could. But the main focus was to bring them love, to let them know that they are beloved, to show compassion and kindness and to bring light, the light of love into those situations. Well, to do that, she had to be very active, but with a sense of her true purpose, right? And that's where I think a lot of us, we, we lack that, which is why our lives seem to lack purpose and the, and the grind can just get to us. So many Christians today lack energy to do anything and, and you, and you even aren't even happy with your life. You could be making six figures several times over have a swimming pool in three houses and still be empty. Why is that? Why is it that even though you have all of the nicest clothes and you have everything that you ever dreamed of when you were a kid, you're bored in your life? And I'd say it's because you've separated out the great adventure, the wild ride, right, of following Christ and letting God be your end goal and your starting point each day. And instead, you've separated that out and said, well, I'm just supposed to follow the dictates of the world and then think nice, happy thoughts about heaven from time to time. And in walks St. Paul to show you, no, no, no. You can actually fill the daily doldrum of of your job, of your work with the purpose of heaven. If indeed you allow Christ's grace to be a gift for you, were his presence to be the, the food that you're hungry for, his face and his word to be your delight. It doesn't take you away from the things of this world. It plunges you into them. A Christian who contemplates Christ will result in an, act, an action, an activity that transforms the world. The love of Christ impels us towards our daily tasks. And that's where suddenly the weaknesses that are in my life become opportunities. Because by living in Christ, I will pursue him through those weaknesses, despite my strength and leaning on his. I'll be his instrument and he'll use me to help everyone around me in a way only he can. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.